0: This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read from God's Word this morning in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Before we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20, where we're instructed concerning the Holy Spirit, we read in John 3, Jesus' instruction to Nicodemus and to us regarding that Spirit. John chapter 3, we read verses 1 through 21 of these in spirit inspired scriptures. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, or wanteth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light came into the world or is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20 in the back of the Psalter, instructing us on the doctrines of the Scripture from which we have just read. Lord's Day 20, question 53 asks, What dost thou believe concerning the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit? And two points. First, that He is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that He has also given me to make me by a true faith, partaker of Christ and all His benefits, that He may comfort me and abide with me forever. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we read about a man like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a Pharisee who came to Jesus by night, In John chapter 3, we tend to think of ourselves as better than Nicodemus, above Nicodemus. And we look down upon Nicodemus. But ask yourself what Nicodemus was like and whether we often do resemble Nicodemus. Nicodemus was fearful, for one. He came with fear in his heart. Fearful of what his fellow Pharisees might think of him. And thus he came to Jesus by night. He came not only with fear, but he came ignorant about Christ, and particu- particularly the Christ who gives his Holy Spirit. Jesus rebuked him in verse 10 Art thou? a master or a teacher of Israel, and knoweth not these things. And these things refer to the things which Jesus was teaching in John 3 regarding His Holy Spirit. How often are we fearful of being associated with the true Jesus? Not only the Jesus of atonement, and the Jesus who is our righteousness, but also the Jesus who sends His Holy Spirit to make us partaker of all the blessings of salvation. Are we fearful of confessing that Jesus? The Jesus who sends His Spirit. In the present climate, there is a certain fear sometimes of speaking of that Spirit of Christ. There's not only a fear, but a real ignorance of the work of Christ by his Spirit. Even those who would call themselves teachers, reformed teachers, even, are ignorant of the Spirit. And the words of Jesus Christ apply Thou art a master of Israel and knowest not these things? So, beloved, what is opposed to and opposite of fear and ignorance of the true Jesus Christ and His Spirit, we should recognize as faith. Faith is a knowledge instead of an ignorance, and it's a confidence instead of a fear in the true Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. May God use His Word this morning, therefore, to oppose that fear and ignorance and build us up in faith. True faith that not only believes doctrines about Jesus Christ and about His Holy Spirit, but a true faith that relies trusts in Jesus Christ. Believing in His Holy Spirit. Consider with me the doctrine of Lord's Day 20, under the theme believing in the Holy Spirit, first His identity, second His work, and finally His comfort. His identity, His work, and then His comfort. The Holy Spirit is God. The third person of the Trinity. The triune God. And therefore, we do not merely say, I believe that there is a third person, the Holy Spirit. We do not merely say, I believe these truths about the Holy Spirit, but we confess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Different from what we confess after that. We do not believe in the church, the Holy Catholic Church, but we do believe in the Holy Spirit. Do you? Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? He is God. As much as Father is God and Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God in whom we must believe. That's one of the main points of the Heidelberg Catechism. First, that He is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. When we call Him children, the third person of the Trinity, do not misunderstand third as in third and rank. He is not third in rank on a podium as it were, third place. No. He is third because He is prominently revealed thirdly in the Word of God, but He is not third place. He has eternally been God. He is co-equal with God, with the same majesty, with the same power, with the same omnipresence, with the same perfections of God the Father and the Son. He is to be worshipped as such, believed in as such. God the Holy Spirit. The Nicene Creed says this about the Spirit that with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. Beloved, does your hearts does your heart believe in and worship this God, the Holy Spirit. may that same Spirit lead us to worship Him as such. He is your God. From eternity, this third person of the Trinity has been the personal breath of God. That is what we need to believe regarding this Holy Spirit. He is the third person who is the personal breath of God. Think about that word spirit. The word spirit means breath. In John chapter 3, in verse 8, the Spirit is compared to the wind. Like a mighty rushing wind which was sounded at Pentecost. The Spirit is the wind of God. But particularly, more specifically, He is the wind that rushes forth as the breath of God. When we think of breath and wind, however, we think of often inanimate objects. or An inanimate object. In this past week, in the last couple of days, you saw wind which blew across the landscape, blowing leaves everywhere. We think of it as the wind. The Spirit is not an it. He is a person. He is the personal breath. Not just the wind, but the personal breath of God. He's not just a power, though He is powerful. He's not just a force, though He is irresistible. He is not just a mighty rushing wind, though He is pictured by that wind. But He is an almighty personal breath of God. Proceeding from both Father and Son. Proceeding as both of those persons' breath. Belgian Belgic Confession echoes what we confess in the Nicene Creed. We must remember, there has been debate of that in past church history, but the Nicene Creed and the Belgian Confession confirms this. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, The Lord and Giver of life who? proceedeth from Father and the Son. Not just Father, but from Father and the Son. Think about that. This is not boring. Consider the beautiful truth of the Spirit as the personal breath of God proceeding out of the Father and proceeding out of the Son. Meditate on that. To help you, think about this passage in John 20. In John 20, verse 22, the Son, Jesus Christ, speaks and breathes out the Spirit. He said to His disciples, when He had said this, He breathed on them. He exhaled, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is the breath of the Son proceeding from the Son. And then think of God the Father. We sang of the psalm, versification of Psalm 33 by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Think about God the Father, the Creator. When he created all things and he spoke and it was done, he did so, breathing out those words. The breath of God. That's the Spirit. Think about Genesis 1 and God the Father breathing out the Spirit in creation and God the Son then in John 20 breathing out His Spirit upon the disciples. But before we go more at length about that, think about how Father and Son, even before time, have have breathed out this Spirit before creation, before Jesus came upon this earth. Father and Son from eternity have been breathing forth this Spirit. And since, you know, there was nothing before the first day of creation, except for God, that it must be the case that Father and Son have been breathing forth this Holy Spirit to one another. That's an amazing thought and a deep thought. Father has been breathing deep secrets to His Son. Whispering as it were. Breathing forth truth and grace. Truth and grace to His Son. And, And Son, in that intimate communion with His Father, has been doing this as well, breathing forth truth and grace, truth and grace back to His Father. And it's not as though the Holy Spirit is, remember, inanimate in this, but He is a personal breath, we said, who willingly comes forth from the Father to the Son in love and from the Son back to the Father. And from that thought, we can say this too, that the Holy Spirit then functions as a beautiful bond between Father and Son. A personal bond. Think of the word holy. He is Holy Spirit, not only to make us holy, but from eternity He has been Holy Spirit. And often when we think of the word holy, we think of, Separating from sin. And that's true. For us especially, that means that God separates us from sin. But from eternity, God had no sin. So how is He the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit function if there has been no sin? Well, then you have to think about how the word holy does not only mean separate from sin, but the word holy means to be consecrated unto God, to be devoted unto God, to be dedicated unto God in His glory. And that's how the Holy Spirit has been functioning from all eternity. He has been devoting, consecrating, dedicating Father to the Son, and devoting and consecrating, dedicating Son to the Father, so that the Father breathes after the Son, and the Son breathes after the Father. that's the work of the Holy Spirit from eternity. He is the very life of the covenant within the triune God. The very unity and love and power of close relationship in the Godhead. When we read in Scripture about the counsel of God then, related to the counsel of God and His plans from eternity, we should not think, therefore, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are making some sort of cold pact or agreement with each other. We ought not think either of this, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a cold doctrinal discussion about what they're going to be doing. Nope. But when we remember the Spirit as the breath of God who is the power of communion between Father and Son, then then you think about the counsel of God in a beautiful, warm manner. Father and Son as two persons in communing with each other breathe forth the Spirit, the secrets of His counsel one to another. This is how we'll glorify The Son, the Son says, the Father says. This is how we will glorify the Father, the Son says. This is how we will glorify Father and Son, the Spirit says. By sending the Son to save a people, sinners, from their sins. And not all sinners, but particular sinners, Elect ones that we will pour forth our love upon. They whispered those secrets one to another from eternity. And flowing out of this God, a sweet communion, the Holy Spirit between Father and Son. There is the realization of the counsel and plan of God. He created, Father did, breathing out the Spirit. And then there was the fall, part of God's counsel. That He might send the Son to be conceived by the Spirit, the breath of God. The Son who would be equipped, anointed by this Spirit. The Son who would, by the power of His Spirit, be joined together as both human and divine. Human and divine. Never to be separate. But both God and man the power of the same bond which united the Trinity, bound man and God in the person of Jesus Christ. And that same Spirit then empowered this Jesus Christ to do all the work, to pay for, to earn salvation and righteousness for those particular people that He had chosen. Father, created by His breath, Son redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, the focus of the Lord's Day is that the Son, having redeemed us, works in us by this same Spirit. Secondly, that He also has given me to make me By a true faith, partaker of Christ and all his benefits. Don't forget that word, partaker. That's the key word in this second part of the Lord's Day. Partaker. Christ, the crucified, risen, and ascended Savior, sends the Holy Spirit to make each of his chosen people, whom he had redeemed, partaker partaker of the salvation He had earned for them. In other other words, He sends His Holy Spirit to apply, to make application of the salvation He had earned to the hearts of the people that He had redeemed. Apply and make partaker are similar concepts. This is the Holy Spirit's Work now. He, sent by Christ, makes us partakers. The Essentials Catechism students recently transitioned from the part of Reformed doctrine called Christology to the part of Reformed doctrine called Soteriology. And in making that transition, you Essentials students remember, but all of us need to think about this, there is a proposition that helps us distinguish Christology, the work of the second person primarily, and Soteriology, the work of the Holy Spirit primarily. And the the propositions are this. Christology is Christ's work for us, and Soteriology is Christ's work by His Spirit in us, for us, and in us, and when we talk about the Holy Spirit as Lord's Day twenty does, it is focusing us upon the preposition in, in us. Christ has already earned all of salvation for us, for each of His elect people fully. It's as good as done. But part of His saving work is that He works the salvation that He has earned fully. Into us. And that is the Holy Spirit's work which Jesus sends in us. That distinction helps us combat many kinds of errors that have arisen in the church of Jesus Christ. In past church history, and recent church history. This week, I recently read an attack against this proper, God-glorifying, scriptural and confessional distinction in an attempt to muddy the waters. It will only lead to more doctrinal error when you muddy this distinction. Don't separate the work of Jesus Christ for us and in us. It's together. It's one work. But we may and we ought to Make a distinction between God's work or Christ's work for us and in us. That's what the Catechism does here. By His Spirit, He makes us partakers of Christ and all His benefits. It's talking about His work in us now. To make that clear, I ask two questions Who has earned? Who has merited? Who has finished purchasing all of our salvation so that it is is as good as done? Well, a clear answer is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, the second person of the Trinity. Now a second question. Who is He? The salvation already purchased now works that salvation into us. In us who is the main agent, who puts all that the Son has earned in our souls? And you know the answer. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus put it beautifully in John 3.3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, not by the Holy Spirit, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God much less he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says later on. But he cannot even see the kingdom of God. He cannot even experience it. He cannot even understand it properly. To see the kingdom of God, which is to see with the eye of faith, you first must be born again. That's the Spirit's work. The Spirit must work in us to make us partaker of the blessings of salvation. And before I move on to talk about the specifics of this work in us, I combat a few errors. One error is the Arminian error or the semi-Pelagian error, which is, beloved, alive and well in the church world and can easily creep in into Reformed churches like our own. The Arminian will correctly distinguish between Christ's work for us and then Christ's Spirit's work in us. He will correctly distinguish between the two. And the Arminian will even say, though he understands this statement differently than we do, that Christ has finished all the work for us to earn all of salvation for us. He's errors in that regard too, though we don't go into that. The Arminian will speak of how Christ by His Spirit works in us in a very different manner than we do on the basis of Scripture. The Armenian concept of Christ's work by His Spirit in us is problematic because it hinges upon man. It depends on man's free will. His fulfilling of a condition by his free will to believe, to accept, to choose. So salvation in us depends on man. The Arminian error will go so far as to try to sound reform, as the canons put it. In canons head three and four, article fourteen, canons say God bestows it's described the Arminian error this way, God bestows the power or ability to believe and then expects that man should by the exercise of his own free will consent to the terms of salvation and actually believe in Christ that's the armenian conception god gives all the power all the strength to or makes it available they call it prevenient grace But man by his own free will, that free will yet unaffected by the Holy Spirit, by his free will of himself must consent to it. Must take it. And he can also resist it. That's Arminianism. It depends on man's free will. Man, in the end, must save himself. Cooperate with Christ and His grace. The Reformed faith on the basis of Scripture argues against this heresy. Christ alone has earned all of salvation, but also this against Arminianism. The Holy Spirit of Christ alone works all the blessings of salvation in us. It's not dependent at all on man's free will. It's only dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Or as Jesus put it, Man cannot even believe. He cannot see the kingdom of God except he be born again by that Spirit. The Spirit works in us every blessing of salvation, including faith, to produce the will to believe and the act of believing also. And he does. That brings up a second error. He does. Work these benefits and blessings of salvation in all of His people, and that powerful. And that second error, as you know, is the error of hyper Calvinism or antinomianism, which we also must be warned of. He said, "There's a distinction between Christ's work for us and Christ's work in us." The hyper Calvinist will speak in impressive terms, in impressive reform terms, about Christ's work for us and with all of His impressive terms and speaking of Christ's work for us, we will heartily agree very often with all of what the hyper-Calvinists will say. For each of His elect people, Christ Jesus has fully paid for all of salvation. He is our righteousness before God. Our salvation is accomplished. It's as good as done because of Jesus alone. But we must ask, what about His work in us? The hyper-Calvinist or the antinomian will sometimes deny that altogether, but more often, the hyper-Calvinist or antinomian will minimize that work because he knows he may not deny it altogether. He'd rather not talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, in fact. The hyper-Calvinist will consider it as suspect For anyone to emphasize the beautiful work of Christ by His Spirit in us. That's a characteristic of hyper-Calvinism. And such a false teacher will even accuse Reformed men of Arminianism if they dare speak of the work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. To regenerate, to create a new heart, so as to bend the will so that we actually believe in Jesus and through faith are justified. And then out of that same faith through which we're justified, we do good and holy works by the power of that same Spirit. Very really, the hyper-Calvinists in Antinomian will reduce Christ's saving work only to that which has happened in eternity and 2000 years ago and will not talk will try to minimize the wondrous saving work of Christ by his spirit in our souls and the canons the canons glorify this work of the holy spirit of jesus christ Canons 3.4, article 11 says, He, that is the Spirit, pervades the inmost recesses, opens the closed, softens the hardened heart, infuses new qualities into the will, which heretofore dead, heretofore dead, He quickens from being evil, disobedient, and refractory. He renders it good, obedient, pliable, actuates, strengthens it, that like a good tree, it may bring forth fruits, of good actions. The canons go on and on about this wondrous work of salvation that the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ works in us. And we glorify God for that. Now I want to make one thing clear in opposing such hyper calvinism and antinomianism. There is an overreaction which the federal vision will take advantage of there's an overreaction that each one of us will be prone to when we combat any hyper-Calvinism or antinomianism, and that is to so glorify the work of the Holy Spirit in us that we can displace and misplace that work. And so I miss I, I make this clear to be clear. None, none of the Holy Spirit's work in us, not one bit of the Holy Spirit's work in us earns us salvation. Not one bit of the Holy Spirit's work in us is our righteousness before the judgment seat of God. Not one bit of the Holy Spirit's work in us is a condition for salvation. It's all done. Completed by Jesus Christ. But the fruit, the blessing, The inevitable result of Christ's work completed for us is that he works in us, his blood bought people. All of these wondrous blessings of salvation by the benefit of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in this breath of God? Now we're more specific. when that Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is breathed upon us from above, the first work of that Spirit in us is regeneration. There is order. An orderly manner that some may want to deny, but there is an orderly manner that Christ works the salvation in us. And first is regeneration. That's what Jesus is speaking of when he speaks of being born again. The Holy Spirit works in us this new birth. Not as Nicodemus thought, that we must physically, with our flesh, enter into our mother's womb again. But there is very really a new birth. The conceiving and birthing of a new heart, that is. The Spirit. Creates in each of God's people a new heart. We call that new heart a new man. And that new man, that new heart, is not the Holy Spirit. There's some confusion about that. That new heart is not the Holy Spirit, but that new heart is the creation, the new creation of the Holy Spirit in us. And that Holy Spirit gives life to that new heart. That new heart is you, and me, the new creation, part of our very person. That's the work of regeneration. It is so amazing that now I can say, I believe, according to that new man, that regenerated heart, and I do good works. Not I of myself, but by the grace of God in me. But yes, according to the new heart, that's who I am now. That is what I identify with. Ezekiel 36:26, "A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. This first implanting of a new heart is the work of regeneration. Now the Armenian will say, another Armenian error, is that first you must, with your free will, believe. You see how they switch the order? First, you and I must believe with our free will. And then after that, there will be a regeneration or a new heart. No, can't believe. We're dead in sin. He must first regenerate us. But then having regenerated us, that new heart believes. Sees the kingdom. To illustrate it, children, since Jesus speaks of regeneration as being born again, think of the conception of a child in the womb. Does a child decide to be conceived in his mother's womb? Choose to be born? No. God works life without that baby's choosing or willing. But then He causes that baby to come forth and make many decisions and choices out of that new life physically that God has given him. So also, not of the will of man, not of the will of the flesh. John 1 verse 13 says, But of God, we are born by His Spirit. This new heart worked in us, which is regeneration. This new heart is joined to Jesus. It's not only the life implanted in us, but at regeneration, when there is a forming of a new heart within us, this new heart is joined, intimately connected. Bound to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ in heaven. That's what the catechism is explaining. When it speaks of a true faith, there the true faith refers to the bond of faith. To make me, by a true faith, partaker of Christ and all His benefits. Not merely partaker of all His benefits. Notice that. Partaker of Christ first and all of His benefits which flow from Christ. Here's a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. At regeneration, when He forms in us a new heart, that new heart is bound to Jesus. With such a strong bond, it's it's as strong as that which bound the human and divine nature together in the person of Jesus Christ. It's unbreakable. We call it the bond of faith. It's synonymous to covenant. The covenant bond. And then from Christ, there flows through that bond all the benefits of salvation. And the illustration is back to that little child conceived in the mother's womb. Think of that little child. When he's conceived in the mother's womb, he's not, he's not this baby floating around and no man's land in there. He's connected to his mother. By cord, we call it the umbilical cord. And from the mother, there flows nutrients, which is his life. And so, beloved, when we're born again, That new heart, like a little baby, is within us. It's connected to Jesus Christ as it were by an unbreakable umbilical cord. So that from Christ, there flows into His life. And yes, there are so many benefits and blessings that flow from Christ to us because of the Spirit's work that I don't have time. To explain them all this morning, but he changes us from the inside out. He very really does. He makes us holy. Doesn't only clothe us upon with holy garments so that we're holy in the sight of God at His judgment seat, but also, having done that, he works in us. Holiness to live a holy life, to repent of our sins, to believe, to experience life of Jesus, to change us from being a hater of God to being a lover of God, to making us from being sons of Satan to children of God who pray and cry, Abba, Father, and more and more so, to make us from individuals who make up a whore to transform us to be the bride, the precious, beautiful, holy bride of Jesus Christ dedicated to Him and His truth and His law. Making us from dry bones to a mighty army willing to fight for the Gospel of Jesus Christ and to defend the bride of Christ. Is any of this power obtained, gotten by my free will and yours. No. It all flows from Jesus Christ through that unbreakable umbilical cord of faith by the power of the Holy Spirit to give me all of these blessings of salvation. Never is the ground of my justification. But very really, an inevitable result of that justification. The Holy Spirit very early works in me all blessings of salvation and comfort, the catechism emphasizes that He may comfort me. He's called to comfort her in John fourteen sixteen. Jesus Himself says, I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. And that's the exact passage, notice, that the, whole, that the Heidelberg Catechism really quotes in Lord's Day 20. That He may comfort me. as that comforter. And abide with me forever. The word comforter is a precious word. In the original it means to call or speak alongside or near another. And so that if you want to comfort another person, you come alongside them and perhaps you put your arm around that person. Maybe after some quiet, you speak. Not much, maybe, you speak that which is for their comfort. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us, nearer than any human being can, because He comes in us. He's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And when He comes alongside us, He breathes. He breathes as the spirit of truth the words which we need to hear for the comfort of our souls to give us peace, to give us rest and reprieve. Relief from the miseries of this earth and our o- earthly sorrows during this sojourn. The spirit doesn't come as some irrational feeling. It doesn't come with some charismatic movement with music in which you start talking gibberish that you can't understand yourself and then are able to perform some miracle. No, the Holy Spirit's work is to come alongside you and breathe the secrets which are rational, which is truth, His Word, which He has inspired to your soul as you hear it read and even as you hear it preach this Sunday for the comfort of your heart. This Holy Spirit, having regenerated us and joined us to Jesus Christ, comforts us especially when we sin. And this is to make another point very clear. When the Holy Spirit regenerates us and works mightily in us, that doesn't mean we are rid of sin. We still have a totally depraved old man. We feel it in us. He sins every day. He still pervades us and affects all our good works, also tainting them. That's why they can't be of any righteousness before God. But we fall and we feel the guilt of sin, and we even feel at times how, how our sinful nature would have a sin and continuing sin and impenitence. We feel a power of sin in that old man. And so the Holy Spirit, who will never leave us even when we sin, who never wholly withdraws from His people, maintains that bond of faith even when we are not exercising that faith or believing. Abides with us, and as the wind, the breath of God, He breathes out His Word and turns us that we might be turned. He brings us to look back to Jesus Christ again and find in Him our forgiveness. And more, that Holy Spirit having worked in us that comfort of forgiveness whispers to us, I am thy strength. Even to improve on the morrow. Because it's not of your own strength that you live a sanctified life of thankfulness. but the Spirit sent from Jesus Christ enables us Unto this life of holiness. He assures us of eternal life. Lord's day one. And makes me sincerely willing and ready to live unto Him. What a comfort. That my justification and my sanctification experience in my soul is not of myself. And it's of Jesus Christ and experienced by His Spirit alone. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you who are joined to Him because of His Spirit, do you hear Him? You see, when you hear His Word, you hear Jesus. You hear Jesus because the Spirit always points to Jesus. But you also know, that as you hear Jesus speak to you, it's His Spirit that brings His Word to your soul and makes it effectual. And so let... Him that hath an ear, hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Believe in God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we cry out, by the power of Thy Spirit who works in us. Abba, by Thy Spirit we know we are joined to Thee by the bond of faith. And having heard Thy Word, breathe to us. We bow in thanks. Thou hast strengthened our faith. And Thee, our God. And so out of faith now, we breathe back unto Thee. By that same Spirit, praise, honor, blessing be unto thee, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from whom, as we began the service, all blessings indeed do flow. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations. Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day Sermons on Wednesdays, and Topical Podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.